come to what God the Holy Spirit, writing through the pen of the Apostle Paul, wants us to know is a new section in 2 Corinthians in our verse-by-verse study, which we've been pursuing now for some months. Uh, sometimes, you've, you perhaps heard me say, sometimes the, the chapter breaks, which are not a part of the original text, but a, but a much later indexing system for which I'm thankful. The chapter and verse divisions aren't there as part of God's original, God's word to us, but they help us with an addressing system, and I'm glad. Sometimes the chapter breaks puzzle me. There are times when I go, I don't know, that, that shouldn't be a break because there's no break in thought there. Not so 2 Corinthians 10. 2 Corinthians 10 is a break in thought beginning a whole new section. I'll read the passage in a moment. 2 Corinthians 10, 1 through 6. The, uh, at the very beginning though, Paul punches hard. And you can see it very clearly in the English. Um, if you look at the first sentence of, of verse 1, the, the, the sentence could simply say, I entreat you and go on with the rest of the, of the sentence. But he, he, he piles on by including his name. Now they know whose letter they're reading. So his name is not an intellectual reminder of who the author of the letter they're sharing is. It's emphasis. So he throws his name in. I, Paul, entreat you. Now again, that, that's something new is beginning here. Some new entreaty, some new plea is being made. But in order to strengthen it even further, the reflexive myself is added. So now we have three layers of, of emphasis at the beginning of this sentence to tell us, listen up, there's a whole new entreaty beginning. There's a whole new segment of the letter. And this segment really goes through the rest of 2 Corinthians. And it is, it is a personal appeal as he says, I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I'm away. I beg you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments, and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Paul is being opposed in Corinth by, by some outsiders who have enlisted a vocal minority of the church to, to seek to undermine the credibility not only of him as a person, but more strategically, the credibility of his apostolic ministry, both among the Corinthians and more broadly. Thus, thus this is a, a spiritual warfare 
issue, as Paul is going to make clear in the unfolding of this section. Which brings us to the first question on your notes, what does spiritual warfare look like? What does spiritual warfare look like? It's, it, would be, it would be more dramatic and, and, and while scarier, I suppose, also in some ways simpler. If when we took a stand in spiritual warfare, it looked perhaps something like this. I know, I know. Some of you recognize that borrowed image. That is Gandalf facing the Balrog on the bridge of Khazad Doom. And if you're not nerd enough to have any idea what I just said, your life is the poorer for it. <laughs> and if you are nerd enough to follow the reference, happy Hobbit week. And if you know, you know. The, the 20 foot tall flaming fire demon. If you encounter one of those in the still small hours of the morning, I suppose it's possible that you're dealing with spiritual warfare. But I submit that it is all the more probable that you should stay away from the Taco Bell drive through <laughs> right before you go to bed. Now before I go on, there is no doubt that at times and places, God's people have encountered direct manifest manifestational demonic influences. I'm not making light of that. But because that is not what is in view here, and further because, at least in, in I believe, the experience of most of us, the spiritual warfare we face is not the huge, dramatic, fiery, manifestational stuff. But most often, as I have in your notes, our enemy's appearance in, in logic, reasonableness, and demeanor is most likely that of an angel of light as 2 Corinthians 11 verse 14 is going to show us not many weeks from now. So when you encounter that conversation that says things like, everybody knows you should just go ahead and get a divorce. You probably, you probably married outside God's will and that's probably why it's, it's so hard for you. And I know the, the word of God would forbid divorce in your circumstances, but you know, at some point, you've just got to do the logical thing. Don't you agree? It's for your own good. You're, you're, you're clearly in no position to give right now. I mean, you shouldn't, you shouldn't have to give up things in your life that matter to you. Surely you understand that this is, this is not the right time for you to begin to live a generous life. That doesn't make any sense right now, right? You know, if you, 
if you use corporal punishment on your children, they're just going to be angry and resentful and they're going to, they're going to associate your touch with harm and you certainly wouldn't want that, now would you? When you encounter that kind of garbage thinking times three, you are in a spiritual warfare moment. And if Satan can whip you in spiritual warfare without you even knowing you're in it, he does not have a brand he's trying to defend. He just wants to mess you up by getting you to throw your arms around ideas that oppose the word of God. That is the spiritual warfare in view here. Now, let's have a look at it. Paul's conflict with his logical, reasonable, and pleasant detractors in Corinth is a conflict not merely personal for him, but it is a conflict against his apostolic authority and by most reasonable extension, the authority of the word of God. The spiritual warfare in view here is a warfare against the authority of the word of God, and we are called to that warfare. Roman numeral one, the words of a spiritual warrior. Verses one and two, the words of a spiritual warfare. Letter A, the range. The, the ability to use appropriate words in appropriate settings. Now here, Paul has been accused by his detractors of being, oh, he's, he's big and bad when he's writing a letter at a safe distance. Apparently they have said. But when he, when he shows up in person, he's, he's kind of a bit of a wimp. He must not really have authority or he'd be more imposing in person. Paul apparently was not physically impressive. But whoo, he could write. And Paul says, you know what? I do entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold whenever I'm away. Apparently he's making a, a sarcastic, ironic response to the insults that have been leveled against him. But in fact, what he's saying is, you know what? I know how to handle something gently. If handling something gently will, will resolve a matter, if I, can, if I can tear down a bad idea gently, then absolutely, gentleness is one of the fruit of the Spirit. If I have to ramp it up and amp it up, I suppose I can do that too. There's a range. Second, there's a resemblance. The meekness and gentleness of Christ. When we go to war against Satan and the world's bad ideas, we don't lose our obligation in those moments to represent Christ as his ambassadors. But be careful, should, should you conclude that, that representing Christ means, uh, I don't know, some sort of always laid back, always half whispering when he talks, wimpy hippie Jesus, 
Make certain that you've done the work to think biblically about, about the character and presentation and demeanor of Jesus as he was. The Jesus who said, let the little children come to me is the Jesus who braided a whip through the furniture and cleared the temple. Amen. He's not two different people. And we can resemble Jesus as we, as we gently deal with people. And if called to, we can resemble Jesus as we braid a whip and clear the temple. The resemblance. Third, the restraint. Braiding a whip and clearing a temple is an interesting moment. It happened twice in the earthly ministry of Jesus. You know what he didn't do? He didn't lose it. I got so upset, I just lost it. Christian, that's not a legitimate option for you. You don't get to lose it. Among those fruit of the Spirit is also self-control. Hmm. How do you know Jesus didn't lose it? Can you imagine if he had? You think throwing furniture is, is, is what does omnipotence do when it loses it? Blast them to atoms? Unexist them in the whatever way omniscient power and creativity bring to mind to him? We don't put it on blast. But we can be very, very effective and call, we are called to be very, very effective in the wielding of Roman numeral two, the weapons of a spiritual warrior. Letter A, the right awareness. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. The, the, the war that we are in, Paul saw it here, we must see it as well, is not a war that is a war against people predominantly. Only as those people would be the, the um, ambassadors of evil ideas. But it is the ideas themselves. We've got to, you lose 100% of the fights you don't show up for. And you've got to be aware of where the battle lines are if you're going to be aware for spiritual warfare. Let it be, you've got to have the right armament. I'm not, I'm not going to pursue this passage this morning, but a classic passage on spiritual warfare is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. A passage that lists the whole armor of God. And in that passage, one and only one of the components of our spiritual armor, based on a, a, an, a, an extended metaphor of the armament of a Roman soldier, only one component of that, the sword, was offensive in character for going on the attack in warfare. It's in Ephesians 6, 17, and it's the, some of y'all know this, what piece of the spiritual armor is an offensive weapon? Come on. I heard the sword, I heard the sword of the spirit, and I heard the Bible. Yes, yes, and yes. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We don't, we don't 
so aggressively and repeatedly encourage you to learn to think biblically because we are commissioned Bible salesmen. We are not. We're not, we're not here to encourage you to dominate the Bible category on Jeopardy. Though you should. We, we as a people, as a congregation, as a group of ambassadors representing Christ to the world should be ready to respond biblically. It's why events like the, the Know the Word seminar yesterday, the Know the Word workshop, are, 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 are strategically apart. It's why our journey together Bible studies matters so much. It's why we don't hop around piecemeal in the Bible on Sunday morning, but teach verse by verse the counsel of God so that you are prepared to skillfully wield the sword of the Spirit in the offensive war against ideas that oppose God. The spiritual warfare you are actually and continually engaged in. The right armament. Let us see the right aims. We take up this, this, this war, this weapon of our warfare. is is not of the flesh. It's the sword of the spirit. And thus we have divine power to destroy. Strongholds, number one. Arguments, number two. Every lofty opinion, number three. And every thought, not captive to Christ, number four. Bundle those together. And what those are, are entrenched, established bad ideas. Argument specifically is, is that sound oh so logical. Oh so logical. Oh so logical. How in the world can you oppose so, so noble and logical, you know, consenting adults should be allowed to marry any, anyone they want. Love wants what it wants. How can you oppose love? And yeah, they've got some outdated allegiance to some dusty old book that would tell you that marriage is to be between one man and one woman till death do them part, but oh, come on. It's 2023. How can you hold to such outdated and in fact, truth be told, hateful ideas? Be logical. Be reasonable. And believer, no, that's what the warfare looks like. I don't want that clip ever isolated online because I sounded like I'm trying to sell something demonic. It's an easy sale. All you have to do is set aside the truth of the word of God. And all manner of evil ideas start making sense. There's your warfare, believer. Think biblically and be ready for it. Strongholds and arguments, every lofty opinion that is anti-gospel. Surely... You are not so narrow and bigoted as to think that if you, if you don't come to God the way you Christians say you must, 
that you can't come to God. Surely you're not so narrow and bigoted as to think that a a well-meaning and well-intentioned person who's doing the best they can Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. It is not hate that provides only one way. It is a bottomless reservoir of love that provides a way at all. And by the way, that way has been provided. And if you, if you've never done this, if you will turn from your sin and trust him by faith on the basis of what he has done on the cross, there's nothing further you need do to be right with God. He's done it. He has made his own a people forever. By his death on the cross, oh, come to Jesus. You say, that's not logical, that's not sensible, and you don't sound reasonable. Actually, that's good. I pray that I sound consistent with what God has said in the only place he has definitively spoken, his word. Roman numeral three the willingness of a spiritual warrior. Well, Pastor Russell, that's, that's all well and good, but, but I, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I don't, what's that got to do with me? Verse six, we do these things, first two words, being ready. Being ready. I know that go along to get along is easier. I get it. But you are assigned, child of God, a role to come to mind immediately. In addition to just this, this description of readiness, you are a witness. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses, Acts 1.8. Further, you are an ambassador. In this very book, 2 Corinthians, back in chapter five, you are appointed and posted here as a representative of a foreign power to convey his message and intent into the place where you are posted. Witnesses and ambassadors do not have the option of failing to engage. So you've gotta have a willingness to engage letter A, the correct targets, and letter B, to engage with the correct timing. In Corinth, Paul is saying here, to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete, what what Paul is saying is, in Corinth, the battle lines were being drawn. And the the, the realm of bad ideas was emerging as the, the realm of faithfulness was strengthening. And it was becoming, in Corinth, easier and easier to know where the bad ideas lived and to spot those who were the vessels and the prisoners of the bad ideas. What he's saying is, once you've identified someone who is a vessel or a 
captive of these bad ideas, these stronghold arguments, lofty opinions, and non-captive thoughts, sharpen the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and go to war for the glory of God and for the sake of those souls held captive by those evil ideas. Second Corinthians, last section of a book that talks about strength in weakness is a call to warfare against these evil ideas and ultimately their author. Good news, as has often been said, when we engage in spiritual conflict, we do not fight for victory, we fight from victory. The war is won. Jesus Christ is Lord. The mopping up action on this battlefield, the salvation of the remnant, that assignment has fallen to us. Tell them about Jesus. In the strength of the Holy Spirit, the power of God's word. Let's be faithful warriors.